0: This podcast series is supported by members at Patreon. If you want to support this podcast series, head to patreon.com forward slash Cascadian Beer. When you follow your dreams and aim for the top, sometimes you can achieve the impossible. Welcome to the Cascadian Beer Podcast. My name's Aaron, and I'm a Cascadian. I have a background in radio and television broadcasting, I'm a music producer, and I have a passion for beer. I don't consider myself an expert in beer by any means, but I do enjoy and respect the craft and the passion of these brewmasters. I want to learn from these pioneers on what sets them apart from the rest, and why they choose to call Cascadia their home. Cascadia is a bioregion in the Pacific Northwest on the North American continent. It is comprised of the U.S. states of Washington and Oregon, as well as the Canadian province of British Columbia. In this podcast series, I'll be profiling the unique breweries of Cascadia, a region that has a strong presence on the international beer scene. Today I'm in Seattle, Washington. Almost in the shadow of the Ballard Bridge is a brewery with an excellent view. Rooftop Brewing Company started in the garage in 2012, but always had dreams of becoming a place where you can enjoy a pint on a Rooftop. My name is Craig Christian.
1: I am the founding member of Rooftop Brewing Company, and I am the head of operations.
0: And we are on a rooftop. So that's kind of where the name comes from, right?
1: It, well, the, the rooftop story is, is a good one. Parker Whitman, who's one of my business partners, and I were brewing a batch of beer in my driveway. I had been telling him for a lot of years that I was going to rip the roof off my house and put a deck on it because the view would be outstanding. And he always said, no, 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 that's never going to happen. But sure enough, I, <laughs> I did it. And uh, several years later, while we were brewing a batch of beer in my driveway, I said, you know, I'd really like to, uh, to try opening a small brewery. And he said, well, if you do it, you have to call it rooftop because the idea of rooftop is doing something that you really want to do. Follow your dreams. And sometimes you can achieve the impossible.
0: So did you hunt out this site specifically? Because like, it, it's interesting because there's the main road that goes past here to the front, but then there's a gigantic warehouse downstairs. Um, so is this still technically a rooftop?
1: Oh, absolutely. Our, our deck is all, it, it was all a rooftop before we put the deck on it. We found this location. It was actually one of the first locations we found when we were looking for a place to expand into a 15 barrel brewery. But it's, it's a little bit in no man's land for retail. There are no other restaurants nearby and there's there's not a lot of shops or anything like that. So we looked around quite a bit, but clearly this, this building just fit our idea so well because you can walk right out from our driveway, from our parking lot onto the rooftop. Um, and we do have a huge warehouse downstairs that we can expand into as we grow. When did this uh, place open then? We've been here for two years. Rooftop started just over four years ago as a one barrel brewery and... At that point, the rooftop was aspirational. We were in a garage brewing one barrel of beer at a time and uh, opening our doors three days a week. And there was no, no distribution at that point. So it was all kind of word of mouth and we sold out of beer every week. So
0: all right. And that was just growler fills or were you bottling anything?
1: Uh, we were not bottling anything at the time, but we did open for uh, pint sales and growler fills.
0: And so what is the capacity of uh, the tasting room now?
1: Uh, we have capacity for 50 people outside and 25 inside, although our outside space can be covered. The the roof opens and closes, is heated, and, you know, it's comfortable out there in the wintertime. So,
0: so you said, like, we're not in a really retail-heavy area. Who are your customers then? Because is it residential nearby, or do people have to venture out here to become tasty beer
1: it's a combination there's a lot of manufacturing down along the canal so we do have a lot of people who work nearby who come by after work for a pint we're right at the base of the north side of queen anne hill which is all residential so from here south is all residential and we're also in a, a corridor that's very heavy with traffic so people pop in here they have to drive here to go across the ballard bridge or go to south lake union along west lake so it's a great Great little spot for people to pop in when they want to get out of traffic and have a pint.
0: So those two years in the garage, was that intentional? Like, were you looking for a place like this from day one when you wanted to start this brewery? And it was just kind of to get you off the ground and get you going?
1: Uh, No, it was definitely cutting our teeth in terms of production brewing, figuring out whether it was something that we really wanted to get into in terms of a career. growing a small business and putting a lot of resources in so we started off with the bare essentials putting as few resources in terms of money into it and was all sweat equity uh lots and lots of hours of of brewing and and fixing up a little garage in order to just find out if this is truly something that we believe can we can succeed with it was very clear from the very inception that this is something that both my business partners and i really wanted to do and it became something that we feel it was very successful from the get-go
0: now you gave me a little tour beforehand and you pointed out your pilot system that's the same system that you started with right
1: that's correct the one barrel system
0: and what special things do you do on there
1: we use that to test batch for new recipes things we want to try just one-off crazy beers that that maybe one of us has a wild hair and wants to wants to give a shot so sometimes it's things that we want to scale up to a 15 barrel batch. And sometimes it's just just for fun.
0: So what style are you known for? Are you mostly focusing on pale ales, IPAs, uh, loggers? Like what 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 styles of beer do you focus on brewing
1: here? We try to brew across a spectrum in terms of giving folks their hoppy options, their IPAs, their double IPAs. We even have a triple IPA in, in production right now. I think we're known for palatable beers. So things that people are going to Enjoy drinking that uh, we're not we're not doing sour beers. We're not. uh, We we might do a sour beer here and there, but we have there are a lot of breweries around Seattle that are known for that. We tend to brew things. I think if you have a rooftop beer, it's a beer that, you know, is going to be high quality and very palatable you said like you know maybe do a sour beer
0: and there's there are a lot of breweries in seattle uh what challenge does that present to you guys in terms of the amount of competition in the seattle area
1: i would say that most breweries don't view other small breweries as competition uh there's a market for us all right now i think that if you want to be a small brewery and you're okay with being a small brewery and keeping things extremely local uh, i think that there's a lot of room in the market if you want to be another uh Shoots or, or something like that. I think that there, there will be a, a, a place that people, there's going to be a sweet spot for brewery size. Um, and I don't think we've hit that yet. Uh, we have a 15 barrel system. We're producing about 1500 barrels a year. And I feel like we're, we're still very small compared to what we could be. But I also recognize that not everybody can can be huge.
0: And so is the majority of your sales in the tasting room or do you have accounts elsewhere at like restaurants that you're on tap?
1: It varies a little bit seasonally, obviously with a rooftop deck, we do the majority of our tasting room sales in the summertime. And I would say we hit about at this point, 50% sales in the tap room uh, in the summer. And it's it scaled back to maybe 30, 35% in the winter, but uh, our wholesale, we've been very steadily, but slowly growing that part of the business. It is... The easier part of the business to grow there's a lot of bars and restaurants in the seattle area and we've just scratched the surface with that so i would assume if you came back and asked me in another year it would be closer to 25 sales in our tap room although the, I, I feel like the tasting room is something that we definitely focus on our goal is to have the best tasting room in seattle we already have a great rooftop deck and it's beautiful and we're uh, we're planning on expanding uh that this winter uh to basically double the size of the deck so that we can have a stage and we can have games like cornhole and things like that. More, more yard games, more of a backyard home deck, barbecue feel.
0: Yeah. A friend with a really nice backyard.
1: Exactly. Who
0: also brews beer. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So what was the beer that inspired you to go down this path then? Is there one particular beer that really stands out for you? There,
1: There is. Um, so I, I, live across the street from a coffee shop that originally it was a roaster. It was called Seven Roasters. And I started brewing a, a coffee porter from using the beans from, from that roastery. And the owner at the time, it's since transferred ownership, but but he always said, if you make this beer so that I can sell it, I'll sell it. Uh, and so maybe that was a seed. Maybe it was just affirmation that that it, this is something that that I can do. But after quite a few years of him telling me that I, that was the beer that we started with.
0: So is it just a happy coincidence then that the two neighbors in this building are coffee roasters
1: or was that intentional as well to find that total coincidence, total coincidence. But I think that one of the things I've found is that the craft coffee in Seattle, that scene is very similar to, uh, the craft beer scene, in that everybody collaborates, everybody's friends, everybody knows each other. It's not a competition type thing. It's it's more of a let's make the best craft beverage that we can make. And be happy when other people are making great craft beverages because we can enjoy them.
0: You've done some collaborations with them before, haven't you?
1: Yeah, we've done collaborations. Both uh, Zoka Coffee Roasters and Cafe Ladro Roasting are in the building with us. And we've done collaborations with both of them. And we have one that uh, I'm, I'm particularly proud of. It's our Ladro Sulteto. Cafe Ladro means coffee thief. So Ladro means thief and Sulteto means on the roof. So it's the thief on the roof. It's a very high-end uh, single-origin light roast coffee, something that you don't normally see put into a beer. Uh, and the, the beer is all about the flavors that come from the coffee. Uh, so we built the beer just to highlight that. And it's every, every time we brew it, we use a slightly different coffee, but it's all single-origin light roast, and uh, it's a very unique beer that. Some, it, it tastes a little bit like you're drinking cold brewed coffee,
0: and um, it's so fresh because the roaster is literally across the warehouse oh, yeah, from you.
1: So yeah they they require us to wait twenty four hours before we make the coffee to put in the the beer but it's it, that's how fresh it is when it goes in the beer
0: now I'm looking at some of your names on the wall there. How do you come up with some of these names and is there a story behind them?
1: There's a story behind most beers that have a name whether whether it be I, I won't say random but it, it's definitely inspired by the beer and the the story that I think that that people have, have heard quite a few times now if they come in here is, is the tank ride story. So the tank rides are Russian Imperial Stout. And that was named for an uh, unbelievable thing that happened to me <laughs> about 20 years ago. I was in the Peace Corps in Russia. So uh, I was in the Peace Corps teaching environmental education in secondary schools in a really small town in the Russia Far East. So if if you don't know where vladivostok is i i do yeah. uh it's it's right on the sea of japan it's the only open water port in in russia and i was about 180 miles north of there in a small town of about 40,000 people and one of my i i taught school there but i also coached the local basketball team and uh the bat that that connection brought me in contact with a lot of dignitaries, local dignitaries. And one guy that I worked out in the gym in the same spot where I was, was the general. I I never knew his actual name. Uh, everybody just called him the general. (laughs) So the general, uh, asked me quite a few times to come over to his house and be social and, and and that type of thing. And it it didn't work out and didn't work out. And finally in the dead of winter, uh, my second year in, in the town, he said, you're coming over to my house. We're going to do the banya. Banya is like a, it's like a sauna. It's really in a town where there was infrequent hot water, infrequent electricity, sometimes no heat. And sometimes, and it could reach 40 below zero. The banya was a necessity that all Russians used. So I, I, of course I said, yes. And, uh, the day came, I got in a cab, went out to his, his house. It was about 20 below zero. He lived a little bit outside of town and most Russians lived in apartments that were the Soviet-era concrete block that you've probably seen video or, or pictures of. But no, the general lived in a McMansion, <laughs> something I had not seen at all in my time in Russia, a giant house. And I went up to the door and, and, and knocked, and his wife told me to follow the path around the back. The path was through the snow. And so I walked about half a mile, maybe maybe a little bit less than that, into the woods, and there was the banya. And, of course, there were eight Russians there, including the general, all career military. If you've ever been in a Russian banya, of course, it's you're naked, you're beating each other with oak branches, and there's a ton of vodka. Uh, oh, and the other thing is there's a stream nearby where they had chipped out the ice. So you, you sweat, you jump in the, the stream. So you can imagine this experience a little bit. But eight guys, and immediately they just start grilling me. They're beating me with oak branches. We're doing shots of vodka. And they're grilling me over why I was never in the military. You know, have I ever jumped out of an airplane? Have I ever uh, shot a gun? Have I ever ridden in a tank? Had I, you know, all of these things. And basically, they couldn't believe that I hadn't done any of these things. (laughs) And and they were questioning my manhood, quite frankly. (laughs) But eventually, the time came when the vodka ran out. And so, half liter of vodka per person is pretty much the the gold standard in in that part of Russia. We we finished our our vodka and at that point we were talking about tanks and how I had never been inside a tank or never ridden in a tank or anything like that and the general said come on we're going to get more vodka put your clothes on let's go. And so we we start everybody gets their clothes on walks outside and he says no 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 not that way back to the house come come this way with me and we walked through the woods a little ways, and sure enough, in a little clearing, there's a tank. It's a two-man tank, and there's nine of us, so there's some some struggles there. But everybody climbed in. The general said, Craig, you're driving. So I, this is one of these things where there's all sorts of like levers and gears and things like that, and I just basically started moving things around. Things are spinning. People are ducking. I may, may have crushed a tree or two, and finally, the general laughed enough where he said, Okay, move over. I'm driving. We pop up onto the road in the tank, start driving towards town. Uh, if you can imagine that, <laughs> something out of maybe a, a, a bad sitcom or something that you wouldn't believe, but this is, this is you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> We're driving into town. Nine guys in a two seater tank come up upon a kiosk where they sell vodka because they sell vodka in every kiosk in Russia. Uh, the general pops out, buys four or five more bottles of vodka. And just as he's hopping back into the tank, these two cop cars come screaming up and the, the cops come out of their cars, guns drawn, rifles drawn and say, get out of the tank. And of course, the general looks at me and he kind of gives a smirk. And I'm like, OK, I, I'm worried that this is going to be an international incident, that I'm going to be arrested. But the general just pops his head out of the tank and in his loudest voice says, What? And I just watched the two cops face go turn white as they said, sorry, general, sorry. Got back in their cars and drove away. And we took the tank back to his banya and drank some more vodka.
0: <laughs> right.
1: That's the tank ride story. <laughs> uh, so you wanted to make a Russian imperial stout. And so that just naturally
0: fell into place, right?
1: Yeah, actually, it, I didn't connect the two. Um, we made a Russian imperial stout. And uh, it was my business partner, Parker, who said, well, you got to call it the tank ride. And of course, that just seemed obvious to me after that. And now we've bottled it once that that batch is gone. Uh, But we do have our tank ride shirts with the general in the tank. Uh, And we we will definitely bottle that beer again. It's it's a standard here. So
0: so who's inspiring you locally uh, for the beers that you make? Like, is there somebody locally that you go to regularly to check out and go, you know what? We should be doing this. Or maybe if I tweak my recipe a little bit, you know, we'd bring that out.
1: I think there's always a desire to do things better and, and, and make your yourself better. So we have a head brewer, his name's Kyle, and, and uh, he brings to the table a totally different set. He brewed in Ohio and, and concentrated on more English style ales. Whereas my tendency is maybe more towards a bigger beer, a higher ABV beer, something with a little more punch. And so uh, I think together, we've really been able to create beers that are across the spectrum in terms of from light to dark and low ABV to high ABV, all all things that people will consider palatable, easy to drink and still flavorful.
0: And if somebody was wanting to go down a path of starting their own little brewery,
1: what would be some advice that you'd give them? Uh, Work in a brewery before you open a brewery. I, I worked in a brewery in my early 20s, brewing beer and front of house sales as well. And that was that experience was invaluable. Uh, Yeah, I I would say get to know the business before you jump in. I I know that there are a lot of homebrew clubs and businesses that have developed through those homebrew clubs. And that's really kind of where a lot of the craft breweries in this area have come from. But at this point, there are a lot of breweries and, and there's a lot of opportunity to get a job in a brewery and get to know the business. And I think that that will make you a much better both businessman and brewer.
0: For somebody who hasn't been here before and they come down and visit you guys, what would be something you'd want them to walk away with in terms of an experience with you?
1: So I I feel like part of our business is just being part of this bigger community and being a a positive member of that community. So I, I think I would want them to walk away with the experience of great beer, a very cool place, where there's a, a great community of people, but also, you know, we, we like to do some outreach. And so we, we do charity events here. We're always happy to have people, people can bring their dogs and kids in here and, and have birthday parties or things like that. We've had people uh, do fundraisers for, you know, bike rides for MS and, and that type of thing. So I, I think that if they came here, I'd want them not only to feel like, oh, that was a great, cool place, I really felt comfortable there, had good beer, and the community is, is aspect of it is, is really fun. All right, well, thank
0: you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much to Craig for his time. It is a great location. That deck on the rooftop, oh, fantastic. And the beers are excellent too. That coffee beer we talked a lot about in the episode, delicious. It had that cold brew coffee with a little bit of honey in it. Oh, it was it was delicious. Definitely recommend you check out Rooftop Brewing Company. Thanks to you supporting us on Patreon, because this is an independently produced podcast series. We can't do it without you. And for as little as a dollar an episode, you can help support the production of this podcast. Head to patreon.com forward slash Cascadian Beer. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, really. Make sure you're subscribed. And if you can, leave us a review on the platform you're listening to this podcast on really helps us get this episode and the others into as many ears as possible. If you want to follow us, keep up to date with what's going on, and I got a bit of extra content coming out now, you can do so on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Cascadian Beer. I'm on Twitter at Cascadian Beer, and I'm on Instagram at Cascadian Beer Podcast. And speaking of social media, I have to give a quick shout out to Monica, who reached out on Twitter and suggested this episode. So if you want to hear your favorite brewery on the podcast, feel free to reach out to me on any of our social media channels. Thank you so much again for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next time, remember, support your local.